Laurie Winkless, good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. Laurie is a physicist and a science writer, our science commentator today, and it's uh, not the kangaroos we're talking about. It's the poor old dinosaurs and the latest theory on what took them out, Laurie. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've known for some time that about 66 million years ago, a large asteroid hit just off the coast of Mexico, and that triggered a reaction, a chain reaction of events that that led to the extinction of 75% of all species on the planet, including, as you said, the non-avian dinosaurs. Now, most of this devastation happened a bit later. It was due to the dust cloud that was ejected into the atmosphere, which blocked sunlight from reaching the surface and it caused a multi-year global winter. But in this new paper, which was just published yesterday, we've now had lots more details about what precisely caused this kind of so-called impact winter. Um, And the researchers who are from the Royal Observatory in Belgium, uh, they focused on a geological site in North Dakota, which is very far away from the impact site, but it also is home to a series of sediment layers that result from that impact, including one very thick layer that was produced over a long period of time, resulting from all of those dust particles that had been ejected into the atmosphere, kind of settling back down to Earth. So by analysing the content of this layer, the researchers could figure out what proportion of different kind of fine-grained materials would have been present in the atmosphere as a result of the impact. So they collected all of that data and lots of other information and put it into a climate model to investigate how sulphur, soot and silicate dust would have behaved in the atmosphere because they were all present. And they found that sulfur alone, that stayed in the atmosphere for about eight and a half years. But the soot and particularly the silicate dust tended to stick around for much longer, around 15 years after the impact. And this would have been disruptive enough to cause global average surface temperatures just to plummet. You know, we're talking about a drop of about 25 degrees C for a period of 20 years. So it was very cold for those 20 years. They also then looked at the impact that this sediment would have on things like photosynthesis, which is the process by which plants turn sunlight into food. And again, they found that it was this silicate dust that was particularly lethal because it was very good at absorbing the wavelengths of light that plants actually use. Um, So they calculate that within two weeks of the impact, there was enough of this dust in the atmosphere that there was a global shutdown in all photosynthetic activity. So no plants could grow for, for two years. So this combination of global darkness and you know a lack of photosynthesis caused by this silicate dust is likely what actually took the dinosaurs out rather than some kind of direct hit yeah mm. all right Indeed. To, to much happy, chronic event yes to happier moments um researchers are creating ultra water repellent surfaces or, or one thereof oh gosh we can talk about friction Um, (laughs) sticky Um, so what would their use be first what are they doing and then second what for so the what they're kind of thinking about is for things like self-cleaning surfaces or anti-icing surfaces or even kind of more high-tech applications like microfluidics where you have small droplets moving around in tiny channels. Um, But what they were really looking at, so these are physicists at um, Aalto University in Finland, they were looking at, as you guessed, uh, friction uh, between solid surfaces and 
water droplets. And the reason that they were looking at this um, is because this is one very easy way really for us to, ter to determine how water repellent or slippery to liquids a material is. Um, so what we do is we study the shape and the behavior of a water droplet on that surface when the surface is sitting kind of horizontally and when it's tilted at different angles. So window glass is an example of a high friction surface because water clings to it even when the glass is vertical, which we see every time we look out our windows on a rainy day. Um, on a low friction or a very slippery surface, a water droplet will not stick at all. It will just roll, roll off once you kind of tilt it far enough. Now, usually the way that we make these kind of self-cleaning low friction surfaces is to cover a surface in a very dense forest of nano and micro textures. So we make it especially rough. And when water sits on that surface, it only touches the very tips of that texture. So there's very little contact between it and the surface which means the water is kind of free to move. Um, but these Finnish researchers have actually generated that same behavior on ultra smooth surfaces. Um, and they've done it by using chemistry. So they've kind of grown tiny scattered patches of a material called a self-assembled monolayer onto surfaces. And when they put a droplet onto this smooth but patchy surface, um, what happens is that a very thin layer of water suddenly forms between those patches and it acts as a lubricant for the droplet. So it makes it easier for the droplet to move. and, and and that water has come from the droplet itself. So it's kind of reducing its own friction with the help of surface chemistry, which is really clever. Um, but they took it a step further and they added this layer to the, these patches to one of those deliberately rough surfaces. And what they found was that the friction between the water and this new surface was the lowest that has ever been measured by anyone. So it is the most slippery surface reported to date. Goodness. Um, and you mentioned some of the potential uses. Can you see more down the track? Can it solve climate I mean, change thing, by any chance? I'm always looking for that. Yeah, I, I think anywhere that we want to reduce friction is a, is a useful um, way to look at it. But usually we do that using lubricants. So we use things that are actually generally quite bad for the environment. Mm. Lubricant materials are usually bad. If we can get away from using that by designing cleverer surfaces, that would help a lot. Very good. Now, I'm not surprised by your next story, but I am interested in how this became known. Yeah, so this is about um, chimpanzees, and we kind of we have to head down to southwest Uganda for this um, to visit a particular community of wild chimpanzees called the Ngogo. It's the largest wild chimp community ever discovered, and they've been studied for several decades. So in this new study, which is from scientists at UCLA, they looked at 21 years of data on the Ngogo chimp community because they wanted to investigate whether long-lived wild primates like these chimps might undergo menopause. Now, in the natural world, menopause is actually extremely rare. So the vast majority of mammals tend to stay fertile until the ends of their lives. Um, and large numbers of what are called post-reproductive females, they've really only been seen in humans and in a few species of whales, including orca. The Ngogo chimp community, unlike some others that we know of, tends to have quite a high proportion of older females. So in this study, 16 of the 185 females they looked at were aged over 50. 
and the oldest female in the group was 67 at the time. And by looking at the, they kind of looked at the fertility of this group over the years. And what they found is that the probability of giving birth decreased year on year after the age of 30. And there were no births at all to females aged over 50, which is not that dissimilar to what we see in humans. You know, getting pregnant naturally after 50 is is very, is almost unheard of. Um, but they also looked at how long these Ingogo females were spending in this post-reproductive state. And it was about a fifth of their life, which is closer to humans than it is to any other um, wild mammals. Um, so then they wanted to see what is happening in terms of hormones. So they took urine samples from a group of females and looked at how that those hormones changed as they reached these different age stages. Because when humans transition into menopause, we see changes in hormone levels like estrogens, which decrease, and things like FSH, which is another hormone that tends to increase. These researchers found the exact same patterns in this group of chimpanzees. So it does suggest that these chimps do, in fact, undergo menopause and that it occurs at a similar age, around 50 years old in both species. It's it's least surprising. I find it least surprising, apart from the fact that we're so closely related, but also... Um, mm. Gosh, nature's so brutal, isn't it? But we often think of humans, yeah. uh, it, it's the grandmother effect of having older females, right? <laughs> You've got to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> capitalism is everywhere. Um, but, you know, Indeed. it's um, it, it, in, in an intelligent and sophisticated social animal, you could see the, the, the involvement of grandmothers of older adults uh, in the mm. um, in this raising. And also, is it the orangutan that breastfeeds till it's about... Oh, five or even ten years old, I thought. It was extraordinary. There's, there's an extraordinary length of breastfeeding that happens in one of these mm. primates as well. Answer me the question, though. Does this mean that they also menstruate? I hadn't even begun to thought about this. Yes, they will. Think they will it. menstruate. Yeah, mm. they will. There will be hormone changes like we have. Um, but what was interesting, you mentioned the grandmother hypothesis. Um, they've kind of ruled that out in this case because uh, female chimps generally tend to live apart from their daughters and they aren't actually involved in child rearing well, apart from enough. their own children <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah fair enough indeed everyone needs a break but um yeah so they really it's really kind of raises some interesting questions around around the evolution of of menopause that that really is interesting so they play no role in wider kind of uh child rearing um i don't know maybe they they just get really good at golf or just crack into a second career. Who knows? But but how interesting. <laughs> it's just a reminder all the time, isn't it, how closely we are related to uh, so many um, species, but just also how sophisticated other species are. We just need to constantly rediscover respect, don't we? Absolutely agreed. Yes, couldn't agree more, Catherine. Laurie, thank you. Laurie Winkless, who is a science correspondent.